I deem him one of the greatest beings alive in our time. What is your name? My name is for my friend. None of my friends is a murderer. Nous disons qu'il y a une minorité qui s'impose par la terreur et la violence. Nous sommes arrivés à la moyenne de 4,2 attentats par jour. They're going to get it, Mr. Bentley. I'm going to give it to them. No man of our time has drawn upon himself so much praise and so much criticism. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, do it. we decide on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we've been doing for six or seven months now. Yeah, so There's, there's like, got to be like 12 episodes yeah, or something Yeah, more. Like that. I think there's like yeah. 15 maybe. maybe. So there's a lot of bonus episodes with lots of movies, literally like 30 movies. Uh, <laughs> Hours of content, guys. Yeah, waiting for you back there. So if you haven't made the jump, consider doing that. Uh, and also, anyone listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you're listening to us, give us a good old rating and review if you've been enjoying the show. That helps yeah. us climb the ranks and find new listeners. Uh, so that's very helpful. Uh, but anyway, that's the plugs for the week. Uh, right. Now, two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, uh, free listeners, everyone would have heard from us, and we would have been talking Predator. Oh, yeah. 1987, uh, in conjunction with Unbelievably uh, good. Shane Black's uh, sort of uh, quasi-sequel that he released this year, yeah. which is really bad. I heard, <laughs> I heard you didn't like it. Yeah. I, I was at the Toronto International Film Festival, and I made the dumb decision to, for some reason, watch that movie while I was there. And I, I thought, was like, but, but granted, you thought like you probably were gonna like it. I right? was anticipating. I love yeah. Shane Black. I, I anticipated really enjoying at least it. In, the nice guys, kiss, yeah. kiss, bang, bang. Right. I films. love those movies. So. Uh, th- you couldn't tell this was a Shane Black movie. It was a, mar- That's a shame. It, it was a Marvel movie with a little bit of blood in it. It was. It That's was what terrible. I heard. Yeah. I heard it's just like quip town. It's just quippiness and and like there's no real real moments like it, it i no, heard that they don't even show fear and it's, really. it, it's studio hacked to garbage they turned it, oh, wow. it there's nothing to do with horror it's entirely like ragtag uh adventure comedy like oh, okay. what like what watch these misfits get together like guardians of the galaxy style and overcome the creature like that's the movie oh, okay uh, it's it's pretty bad but predator on the other hand which we did talk about is fucking amazing is amazing john mckiernan's <laughs> predator is amazing and we had the two dudes from the Podfast pod furious podcast yeah that was a lot of fun <laughs> Uh, on and to talk about that film alongside Walter Hill's Southern Comfort, his uh, sort of Louisiana swamp take on uh, the Vietnam War film, which, which was, was a lot great. of fun. Uh, so that would have been last time everyone heard from us. But last week, patrons, all of you out there in patron land, uh, would have heard us talking about the late, great Burt Reynolds. Yes. We talked White Lightning, 1973, and the follow-up directed by Burt Reynolds himself, Gator, 1976. And at the time, we didn't really know he was going to pass. And again, so. <laughs> when I went to the Toronto International Film Festival, I had to leave Jamie for two weeks, so we recorded tons of episodes in advance, yeah. including the one about Burt Reynolds, and he happened to pass away 
the week after we recorded. So yeah. everyone who heard that episode, we're really sorry. But so if there were any mean jokes about was- Burt Reynolds, <laughs> we take them all back. Yeah, exactly, all of them. <laughs> We're sorry. We apologize. Yeah. Uh, we, we put it on the record. So anyway, if you want that episode again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. That was last week's episode. But this week... R.I.P. Bert. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> this week, we are uh, branching out a little bit. We're, we're bending the rules a tiny bit. Yeah. Because yeah. we had an awesome guest we wanted to bring on, someone who's very interested in uh, world history and even has his own podcast about history. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we want to have him on, and we want to talk historical films, which are films that Jamie and I both really enjoy. Yeah. Um, but we were like, man, most historical films out there aren't generally horror or action. <laughs> no. So we went, we went a little bit <laughs> Not more... Not the pre- sleaziest of the genres. <laughs> exactly. We went a little bit more prestige this week, but uh, they do actually uh, kind of work together and have their own sort of genre element to them in a way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that guest is... Everett, also known on Twitter as Trillburn of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Everett, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, Thanks for coming, coming on. Now, Everett, which two films have you paired together and why have you brought them with you? Uh, the first film is Lawrence of Arabia. Um, that's 1962, directed by David Lean and starring um, a million people. Uh, Peter O'Toole is the title role. Uh, the second film is The Battle of Algiers. Uh, which is 1966, directed by Gilo Pontecorvo, and uh, not really starring anyone in particular. No, um, that was a non filled with non professional <laughs> actors. That one, yeah. Um, which really, I mean, we'll get to it, but makes it kind of uh, it works. even more realistic and more <laughs> gritty. Yeah, I enjoyed that yeah. part of it. And uh, the reason I chose these two films, um, so they're, they're they have a lot of sur- sort of surface similarities. They're both about popular uprisings uh, in the Middle East. Um, they were shot. Uh, very near each other uh, in time, uh, but they're very different films and have a very different approach to the subject. Yes, because these are both sort of political revolution and resistance films, specifically under colonial oppression um, by uh, Middle Eastern countries. And uh, the two filmmakers have a very starkly different <laughs> visual sense for what that feels like and what that means. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, But with that being said, I mean, I guess we'll jump into it. Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, let's do it. Now, a gathering of international stars unfolds the story. Alec Guinness as Prince Faisal. The English have a great hunger for desolate places. I fear they hunger for Arabia. Anthony Quinn as Auda Abu Tai. I carry 23 great wounds, all got in battle. 75 men have I killed with my own hands in battle. I scatter, I burn my enemies' tents. I take away their flocks and herds. The Turks pay me a golden treasure, yet I am poor because I am a river to my people. Jack Hawkins as General Allenby. I believe your name will be a household word when you would have to go to the War Museum to find who Allenby was. You're the most extraordinary man I ever met. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Jose Ferrer as the Turkish Bay. Your skin is very fair. Also starring Anthony Quayle, Claude Rains, Arthur Kennedy, with Omar Sharif as Ali, and Peter O'Toole as Lawrence.
right, we are talking Lawrence of Arabia, the 1962 uh, historical epic directed by uh, one of the the kings of, I guess, uh, big budget epic films back in the day, David mm-hmm. Lean, Bridge on the River Kwai. Uh, shit, what else did he do? Doctor Shivago. Third Man. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of lots of great stuff in there. This film kind of followed up a series of big, classic, historical, epic-style films. Things like Ben-Hur, things like The Ten Commandments. Uh, Minimum but, of four hours. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, but David Lean, I think, very much specialized in how to make something that big kind of feel personal and feel intimate in a way that I think people did not anticipate for a film that was four hours long and had the budget that it had yeah. uh, that would be that, more interested in spectacle yeah. than it would be in character. And uh, also something like, like just the, the, uh, what it's based on as well. Like, it's not like the Godfather, right? We're not watching right. mobsters or anything like that, but yeah. you know, it could like you, you, you say, Oh, it's a three and a half hour historical <laughs> film. You're like, Oh <laughs> okay. damn. <laughs> Either way, what ended up happening but it's great. was that he inspired an entire generation of filmmakers and basically defined spectacle filmmaking for, uh, what year is it <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. now? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, spectacle filmmaking was kind of changed forever by Lawrence of Arabia and it's gorgeous 70 millimeter photography. Um, and largely it tells the story of uh, a British officer in world war one named T E Lawrence, uh, who, who aids a uh, series of Arab tribes in their revolt against the Ottoman empire, which I suppose would be the, the Turks, right? Everett, they mostly yes. call them the Turks, so I assume yeah. that that's what the Ottoman Empire was. <laughs> yeah. This is how badly researched I am. Yeah, we're this is going to be embarrassing. We aren't the history majors. Here. Uh, <laughs> but on his journey, Lawrence kind of becomes a bit of a messianic figure uh, in the cause for uh, revolution against the Turks, but also is very susceptible to both the manipulation of the British Empire, mm-hmm. who has kind of other means for uh, the Arab Revolt, and also begins to sort of undermine his own psychology uh, at the same time and grows increasingly unstable as the film goes on and it threatens to kind of undermine all of the work that he's he's aided in. Yeah, and he starts to kind of create this almost god complex within himself, it seems. A little megalomaniacal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, like, we'll, of of course, get to it, but there's a, a, a moment where... He does something that helps them a, a very significant amount, and they start like cheering his name. And you can tell he's really taking that in and really eating it up. He's got an ego for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, Everett, we're gonna ask you right off the bat before we kind of jump into a, a more beat by beat. We're gonna go into some of the major um, moments and beats of Lawrence of Arabia. But if you had to kind of briefly get us into it, how accurate? to T.E. Lawrence is David Lean and uh, screenwriter, I believe, Robert Bolt. Well, if anything, um, it's hard to believe after watching this, if anything, they undersell what a strange character Lawrence was. Wow. Uh, He was a deeply eccentric person um, and who's been, I mean, that's part of why he's been, he's fascinated people for so long uh, is because he's hard to unravel. He's not the kind of person you would picture being a great conqueror and uh, leading these kind of hardened uh, nomads. Uh, he was a very kind of, uh, 
he was kind of feminine. Um, he yeah, was this well, very the, cultured British gentleman. Yeah, Lean kind of gets into that a little bit in the early scenes with him there, where they O'Toole, O'Toole kind of does play him a little bit more flamboyant than you would expect for a military figure. Mm-hmm. And even the other sort of uh, people that are part of the British Empire are kind of, uh, they call him a clown. And they're just oh, like, right. and, and and half for for the most part, they give him this job just so they don't have to look at him or talk to him <laughs> yeah. because he's he's just sitting around, kind of like saying funny things. Uh, and they're like, just just go away, go go do something over there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which kicks <laughs> off his whole mission. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to picture for us now, but like that was a definite type in that like late British Empire world, like the eccentric officer with kind of a a mystical bent and like maybe a little too fascinated by the people that they're colonizing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for his time, he was just kind of an extreme example of this type that was out there. But looking back now, I mean, like but the American Empire does not have guys like that, Um, certainly not running things anyway. Right. Um, and I guess with the with the uh, the other historical context stuff, I mean, it's just um, you know I think they actually do a very good job in the film of sort of very briefly you know, filling you in that there's um, you know the Ottoman Empire was this collapsing gigantic multi ethnic state, and the British and French were very keen to get in there and uh, you know topple them, kick you know kicking the rotting door so to speak, uh, and then you know bring in their own influence and. Uh, the uh, the big question was, uh, and the big question in the film is: Is the Arab revolt going to be a part of that, or is it going to somehow germinate into its own thing outside of the British influence? Right, which is obviously what they what they don't want, and it's it's very it's very interesting to see because the film uniquely kind of for being a film that's considered sort of a character study and kind of deeply personal to the character of T. Lawrence, the film often kind of breaks from his point of view to like a larger, more um, distant point of view to show Mm. the fact that while we're getting swept up in, um, you know, Lawrence's escapades and all of his successes, we're seeing how that is being manipulated both by uh, Prince Faisal, um, who he is, uh, the, the leader of the tribe who he is helping played by an unfortunate Alec Guinness and Brownface, which is, uh, I will say it's, it's a little distracting to watch and a little questionable even watching it now only because, cause obviously people wouldn't, you would, people would shout in the streets if that happened. Yeah. It, at that, that point. That doesn't right. fly anymore. So it makes sense watching it now. Cause you're kind of like, man, that it's unfortunate to watch. And then doubly beside Omar Sharif, who plays Sh- Sheriff Ali, that, who yeah. was the one, um, sort of like middle Eastern heritage actor that they did have. Right. And he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just I like, you couldn't find another one. They must've just wanted a star. Yeah. I looked at a few of the, the casting after just to see, you know, who was who doing they, it and who, who was actually, yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was actually quite a few, yeah. which is great. Uh, but it's just, I guess they were like, you know, we need the lead, one of the other leads to be the Hollywood guy, I guess. That's yeah, what they Alec were Guinness, doing, who, I, I mean, would have been an Oscar darling around that time. I mean, he probably yeah, exactly. was nominated for the role regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he's he's kind of being manipulated on uh, the Arab side by Prince Faisal, who clearly is trying to do what is best for um, you know, his tribes and his people, and he's trying to maintain power and use this collapsing em- Ottoman Empire to his advantage to, you know, challenge the British Empire in some yeah. capacity, while the British Empire is trying to use the exact same successes that Lawrence is having to challenge 
the same territory. It's basically two different groups fighting over the same territory, uh, but the British has a lot more power, a lot more control, and right. wants and even a af- lot worse things for largely the Arab people. Right, like even after they were liberated, it seems like they'd still want their con- the control of the, of them. Uh, they mentioned things like they didn't like the guerrilla tactics and would rather them get into training so that they can become more disciplined, you know, right, in right. their minds like the the British army and things like that. Right. And, and lean kind of captures this by, uh, doing these uh, brilliant, amazing desert vistas and oh, these, this gorgeous 70 millimeter photography, uh, of, of the desert. It basically inspired both, uh, Spielberg's fascination with the desert and Lucas's fascination with the desert. Yeah. Uh, star Wars and things like Raiders would have, would have came out of these images. Uh, and I think and, even like the score, yeah. uh, kind of, I don't know if, you know, it was it, this a similar thing was done prior, but the score. Every time I I listen to something where it's uh, even Uncharted, for instance, okay. Uncharted Three at the end has a very large desert uh, area, and uh, the score okay. is very reminiscent of the score that's in Lawrence of Arabia. So I mean, this well, has influenced in- things. It's a very um, like a mystical amount. kind of thing. It's like you're, you're you're looking at the desert and you're not seeing something desolate, desolate like you would see right. how George Miller uses it in his Mad Max films, exactly. for example, where it's something dead, something empty, something decaying. The desert here uh, is is more like potential. It's beautiful. Yeah, you, there's like, a mystery. Like to Lawrence it. is obsessed with it, you, and you, the filmmaking kind of gets at why he would be obsessed with it. Like the way that the the sand moves and stuff. It's like a living, breathing thing, and yeah. it, it sets the stakes for this is something that. The, everyone is fighting over that this is valuable land mm-hmm. and that this is what well, it's all also three uh, empires are fighting over in his, uh, in his personality, the desert is, um, you know, it's, you know, like you were saying, it's blank. It's like a canvas for him to sort of play out this, uh, this role that he's you know, sometimes unwillingly, um, seems to be kind of fated to play, um, as this kind of quasi mystical conqueror figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. And there's, there's, <laughs> Uh, a, a great scene, kind of early on, when he's first going going into the desert. Actually, I think we should get we should do the op- we should do the opening scene real quick. Oh, just when he when, when he, he gets, dies. This yeah. movie opens with Lawrence dying, which was the most <laughs> shocking part of the film for me because I haven't I haven't seen it uh, prior to this, and uh, I just thought it'd be you know a timeline kind of thing, right. and to show his character through his death prior to the entire story was amazing i thought that was such a good yeah, choice and, and he kind of gets a, a point of view bit where they're what's the what's the place where they're burying him i'm assuming it's a, a british church where they bury yeah, like i can't remember. i think that's saint paul's cathedral i'm not positive though okay. okay but either way it's a church where they are they're burying like important historical and political figures and that's where lawrence is being buried and everyone's kind of talking about him being like did did you know him did, did he deserve a place here and what was uh, kind of funny too was the timing of how they switch from the 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 goggles that are dangling from the oh, tree yeah. to just his statue like his head of his head statue and then the dates yeah, of the, his death the, the, i was David, like david it was Lean. almost played for comedy in a, a little, little way like it was it was odd but I, it worked really well david lean transitions are very iconic because he he kind of mm. said he says a lot with a simple cut and that's kind yeah. of what, what he got really really well known for was he'd show you one image and he would card cut to another image um and you would kind of have sure. to you, you know you would you would feel something or you would 
you would associate something with those two distinct images. And I mean, super famously, the one of the match cutting to the desert. That's oh, one of the yeah. most famous cuts in film history, yeah. <laughs> uh, which apparently he talked about with his editor that they originally had a fade set up and that oh, it, okay. they couldn't get it to work. And eventually she, uh, she accidentally, uh, his editor just accidentally hard cut it. And then they watched it and they were like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's the magic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, That's awesome. uh, and early on with that scene with the match, for example, they're setting up Lawrence as this very strange figure. We kind of mentioned that he's kind of a little bit flamboyant, but he's also depicted as kind of a, a masochist who really yeah. loves uh, Gets on the burning his fingers on, yeah. on the matches. And they, they have the line about where he's just like, the trick is not minding that it hurts right. when the guy asks him, how do you, it, it hurts. How right. do you do that? Which is a really cool uh, line to have when we go like, two and a half hours later into the film and yeah. he's being tortured and yeah. he's like keeping the straight face for a little while oh, and, yeah. and the guy's even looking at him like dude are you is this not doing anything for you <laughs> and then eventually he breaks but uh it was it was very cool to have that moment and then it all come full circle in that scene. oh absolutely there's a lot of that a lot of yeah. echoing images echoing plot beats that are some of the most it's important genius. in the film especially when he's told very early on before he's left um that the desert is a burning fiery furnace and not meant for ordinary men and he's just like yeah well i'm gonna have fun anyway i'm no ordinary man so <laughs> yeah we'll see how exactly. it goes but what's awesome is when he's first in the desert and we get all these great vistas of the desert we're we're drinking it up uh he's he has a, a turkish guide i believe of hmm. who's who's kind of guiding him through and you can see him immediately trying to like kind of he's, he's putting on a bit of a show for playing the role of what he thinks he's supposed to be doing which is this guy right. who's coming to help yeah uh, and he gives the guy his gun and he's eating his food and he's loving very it. charming yeah. yeah he's 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 kind of over exaggerating how much he cares about his guide and how much he cares about the work that he's doing when all that he's been told even by his superiors is you're gonna go and you're gonna measure the situation yeah <laughs> and that's and it even, he knows nothing else that, about what's that happening moment <laughs> where uh where they're talking about you know him and in the old country or whatever britain and, and he's just like everybody's fat back there yeah. and then the guy's like you're not and he's like well i'm not like other men <laughs> <laughs> like he just he has such a, a confidence he's kind of tuning his own horn like before he's even had any yeah. accomplishments yeah exactly <laughs> and he immediately kind of gets woken up by the fact that one of the best character introductions of all time Omar Sharif just a little oh. tiny fly on the horizon of the desert yeah and he's slowly approaching and he's slowly approaching like, what's going and on you're like what's going on here and quickly escalates yeah Omar Sharif kills the Turkish man for drinking out of his well and yep. he says that guy basically, I mean, diminishes him as a person, basically says that guy wasn't, I don't consider him uh, on, a, on a human level. He doesn't deserve yeah. the decency of some of my water. Which is which is really <laughs> shocking after you spend a good 20 minutes with this guy and, and, and seems Lawrence likable. becomes, and Lawrence, yeah, they yeah. Come, become friends. Yeah, and, Lawrence and is and like, Lawrence he's even my says, friend. He's my friend. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lawrence has something. Well, that's a... It's like a oh, classic yeah. thing in movies like this is there's like the, you know, the guy, the, the, the Westerner going into the foreign place and there's always kind of like the guy who's his native guide and becomes his friend and guides him. And this movie introduces that character and then just shoots him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, cause, because he's like, look, this, this, this place isn't going to be what you think it is uh, right. as, as much as you want it to be and as much as he's envisioned it a certain way and uh, wanting to 
have it bow to what he thinks are his own standards of operation. I was like, that's not what's happening here. (laughs) And he gets woken up to that fact very, very quickly in this film, which is just interesting because normally that would be the end of another movie where someone goes Mm -hmm. the whole movie thinking that way. But this is like the first, you know, half hour, 40 minutes of the film. (laughs) Yeah. I almost feel like he's, he's uh, resentful towards him as well because Mm. he spent all this time putting on his charm and convincing him. Like he had the person that was already not looking up to him necessarily, Necessarily, but uh, but really appreciated him and respected him, and and now he has to deal with this new guy who just shot that guy yeah. dead, <laughs> and he has no idea what to what's in store for him next. Yeah, and then the guy asks him for his name, and he's like, "My name is for friends, yeah, and none exactly. of my friends are murderers," which is a very important line right. when Lawrence becomes mm. a murderer. Yeah. very very quickly over the yeah. course of this film. Not to mention, I'm sure some of his friends in the British Army have killed people. Yeah, so ex- it's like, exactly. Well, Omar uh, maybe he doesn't he doesn't picture that as murder. I guess. Yeah, That's Sheriff, maybe the Sheriff Ali has a, a great sort of like uh, counter line to that. Was he was saying that that guy was nothing? He's like the well is everything, yeah. which is he's pointing out that you don't understand this is a battle for resources and it needs to happen fast yeah. <laughs> and we can't lose this battle. <laughs> right. Um, which is, you know, as someone who's there and who doesn't see the larger plan of the British empire, they're fighting for those exact same resources. Yeah. Um, uh, which is something we sort of get exposed to as, as the film kind of goes on, but we get lots of great scenes uh, of, of Lawrence by himself. At one point he, he's sort of like, he's singing into the desert and it's like echoing the mountains are kind of like echoing Oh, yeah, that's and a, stuff like that because again that. he sees it as a way to sort of express himself almost but uh quickly one of the guys who's already there i forget the character name but there's a guy there's a british brighton brighton that's who he is yeah there's a there's a british serving officer already there working with prince faisal um and he kind of tells him look no matter what happens in there, whatever conversation we have with them, keep in mind that you are a British serving officer, a mm. thing that Lawrence <laughs> very quickly doesn't do. No. Uh, and basically suffers the consequences for not doing, uh, for the rest of the film, because he genuinely does get inv- invested in Arab interests, which you no, know, as much as the British, uh, say over and over again and insist that British interests are Arab interests. We know that not to be true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they seem pretty upset <laughs> that he keeps doing things <laughs> for them and, and not in mind well, of them. And then, and then they're happy about it British, simply rather. because he is helping conquer the Turks. Right. And at the right. And, but at the same time, he's doing time, just enough. <laughs> yeah. He, he's having enough success at removing the Turks out of their way that they're happy with him. But they all, and they also think that they can maintain what control they have over the, the Arab unity that he is a collective. Right. And they're worried. Like, the more, I think the more that he frees them, uh, he's also freeing them from the, the British hand that they, that they have on. Them yeah. As well. So that's what they think. I and think, I think uh, the, th- the only person in the whole movie who actually believes that line that British British interests and Arab interests are the same is Lawrence in like the first 40 minutes. Yeah. No one absolutely. else in the movie buys that for a second. For sure. Yeah. And you, you even see it when he gets into conversations like with some of his superiors. There's a, there's one of my favorite scenes in the film actually is one where um, he, he we, we kind of bypass a lot of the like we. He's he's already conquered. He conquered Aqaba. That's what he's done. That's mm-hmm. his big success. He did it. Uh, 
He, he went through the, the big desert that nobody could ever cross, that they said everyone dies in. He did something no one expected, and he conquered uh, a, a, a Turkish battle point that no one thought possible. Um, and he kind of returns back to the British and he's having a sit down and he's, you know, he's got his new sort of like, uh, his, his outfit, his shawls, yeah. uh, that, that he's been gifted for doing such an amazing, uh, uh, military effort. And while he's there, clearly that has, it has traumatized him a little bit to be on the front lines of a, uh, uh, a war that he didn't intend to be part of. Again, he was supposed to just measure the situation and then yeah. all of a sudden he's conquering yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when he comes back he's like I don't know if I can like really do this anymore and the British are so impressed uh, that they don't even keep like they don't care about him on any kind of psychological level they're just like damn he removed a big headache uh, for us yeah. uh, so all they do is pump up his ego a little bit they yeah. just go dude you did such a good job we need you you're great you're awesome thanks Yeah. and he's like okay I guess I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. And he goes right back love in. Love the love, baby. Meanwhile, he's just been like completely horrified. And he's had that iconic moment, the who are you yeah. scene, where at the at the end of his big conquering uh, moment, um, he he kind of crosses over some hills and gets his way over to the uh, British Empire, which where where are they situated at that point in the story? Like, Egypt. Are, which, Egypt, um, Cairo, that's, that's right. Yeah, right, Cairo. Right. Yeah, so he, he gets over to Cairo and someone's like, who are you? And then there's this big <laughs> shot looking at him with his wide eyes and he's like, shit, <laughs> who <Yeah>. am I? <laughs> That's one of the most interesting things about Lawrence too. It's like, he's just, it seems like, you know, he questions the things that he does do, but all mm-hmm. it takes is one person to say, that was a good job. Good for you. You're doing well. And he's like, oh, okay. Like that, it, it, it doesn't seem like he requires second thought after somebody else approves it for him. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, because that's, you know, he, he spells it out, you know, he, um, you know, when he says he, he killed a guy and it bothered me. Um, and the, the general presses him on what bothered him about it. And he says, um, I liked it. Right. And so that's that's what traumatized him. He's not like a normal soldier where, you know, oh, I saw so many guys got ki- get killed and it was horrific and it made me feel mortal. Uh, what what has traumatized him is that he realizes that he's got this this part of him that loves killing and conquering and mm. is pretty barbaric. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a problem for him because, it, like you said, all it takes is one person pumping him up and going back to feeding that that you know, conquering instinct and he's right back to, he's right back in the saddle. Yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be killing people, which is kind of his big thing. And there's, there's a, there's a, there, <laughs> there's a moment, uh, too, that's really, really powerful where, um, while they're crossing the desert, which is an amazing sequence, which mm. is just, it's multiple days of them crossing the desert. And I've never seen the same desert look so different from shot to shot. Like, yeah. like at, like at night and it, it's just completely to make a gorgeous. desolate desert. This interesting to look at, for three and a half hours is yeah, such well, an and, accomplishment. And, and, it's, and it's the same stretch of desert for a majority of it. Yeah. Because again, it's like a whole 30 minute sequence where he is on one side of the desert trying to be like, we can go attack Aqaba from the opposite side where the Turks won't be expecting us. And they were like, well, yeah, but there's no water in that desert, which is why you can't cross it. Cause right. you know, you need to rush it quickly in 10, 12 days or whatever else you're not gonna, you're just gonna die. Mm. Um, and they do that. Um, but Lawrence does this big thing that kind of like wins everyone over, which is someone in the night while everyone was asleep, fell off his camel. Um, and he, he rushes back. Cause he's like, I'm going to go save 
that person, even though it's probably going to mean that I'm going to die. I'm yeah. going to go back and save that guy and bring him back. And he does. And it's really, it's, it's what really kind of wins everyone over and impresses uh, everyone and gets to that great moment when he first gets the shawls and the knife. He's holding the knife right. upside down and he's like a giggling little child. Uh, yeah. So in playing <laughs> yeah. dress up, he's so pleased with himself in that moment. Another and, great moment with those robes is when he does return to the, to the British, uh, uh, the headquarters or whatever oh, yeah. it is. And they all, they're all looking at him and he has this moment where he like flips his robe up and yeah. then starts walking. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that the British people like, are just look like with dignity. He like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, just poised. Like, yeah. And, uh, and, and you can tell that the British people were, have just never seen this before ever. They're I mean, so confused. Right. They're so, I mean, they're surrounded by, by officers middle, uniforms and stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So they're just not used to this British guy in these robes. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a, a great little moment, uh, for sure. Yeah. Now, do you think well, it's, it, it mirrors the beginning where he, um, you know, he's, he stands out because he's like, he doesn't salute right. He's kind of like mincing around and he's yeah. just, everyone's staring <laughs> at him. It, yeah. And then when he comes back, you know, an hour and a half later in the film, everyone is staring at him still, but they're like in awe. Um, and he's still a weirdo and he's still an outsider, but, um, because of what he's done, you know, it's totally transformed. You know, now he's someone above everyone else, not someone below everyone else. Yeah. He's mm. almost become like a living myth in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. But, but after that kind of, uh, desert sequence where he saves that guy, the, the biggest, one of the biggest moments in the film for me is when there, there, there are two conflicting tribes, uh, when they take Akaba. Um, oh, right. Uh, and, uh, at one point in the night, this is where a, the guy that has the sun, correct? Uh, yeah. A fight, a fight breaks out. Right. And someone ends up dead. And basically, it's going to be an all-out war between the two tribes if this isn't settled by, like, a third-party person because they don't want one of theirs being killed, but the other people don't want their, the death on their side being sort of in vain. They want the person punished. Uh, so Lawrence steps in and is like, I will be the executor of the punishment so that both sides can th know that this was a fair, reasonable judgment and can go back to working together uh, yeah. instead of sort of like ruining this collective before it's even gotten started. And he goes up to execute the man who did murder him, and it's the guy he fucking saved. Yeah. Uh, how, how much heavier uh, do you get there? <laughs> and, and he's, well, something, um, something I love about that scene, so um, you know, there's all these, you know, you guys already touched on it, the, um, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of God complex. There's a lot of references to that. Um, but, you know, who, who has power over life and death? Yep. God and Lawrence saved this guy, gave him life, and then he killed him. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, one. Of, I think that's kind of the the beginning of when the, the God complex starts. You know, going into overdrive is that that uh, killing that guy. Yeah, yeah well, because absolutely. he he kind of realizes the power that he has, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that they let him do it. <laughs> yeah, everyone respected him enough to let him <laughs> be the the arbiter of of life and death in that situation. <laughs> do you also uh, just speaking briefly back on that when he saves this gentleman? Yes. Um, do you think that his? I almost have this vibe now talking about his character that he does these things even when it comes to risking his own life to save someone. I don't know if it was a purely selfless act anymore. I almost feel like he almost, he does it for the recognition in some small yes, way. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like even something I mean, as dangerous as solely going back for this one person. Well, because what does he even say before he leaves? Which because, seems because, so because the guy's like, 
yeah, because he's like, he's like, you, you're, you're literally just killing yourself is what he tells them. And he's just like, well, I'm no ordinary man or something yeah. along the lines of like, he defies the laws <laughs> exactly. that his body, like biology, he defies yeah. just biology basically is what he suggests well, it, when he does it. Hmm. It ties into his masochism as well. I mean, because he's got this hero martyr thing. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the suffering uh, that he go under undertakes when he does these impossible things uh, is that's part of the pleasure for him. That's pretty creepy. It is very creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and what's really fascinating about it is that he is he is successful. Uh, right. Is kind of the thing is that really someone who has this kind of drive, who has this kind of god god complex in that way, it kind of makes you rethink the people of history that you are aware of. Yeah. Because you're 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 watching this guy and you're just like, what Lean kind of gets at is that this this dude is deeply troubled and he was only able to make his great accomplishments because he was so fucked up. Yeah. And even <laughs> at, and even at the end of his life, what takes him is is just pushing himself to the limits that that he <laughs> like he probably felt like he's like i could do this whatever and then next thing you know he's off the road hitting trees so oh absolutely and they almost tell you that god um, flex till the till the day he died yeah (laughs) they almost explain uh explicitly um you know there's that scene in the second second half of the film when uh auda uh anthony quinn says to him uh you know the the british are making fun of him because he's going home with his loot and he says hey you'll all go home too when you get what you want from this place and when does Lawrence go home? When does he say he wants to go home? It's when he gets tortured and completely destroyed as a person uh, in that Turkish general's quarters. Right. And so he's finally achieved his kind of self-destruction you know, for the cause. And that's what he came for. And that's when he wants to go home. Right. Now, I've, I've heard in real life that that torture was a bit more explicit than what we see in the film here. Oh, so it's even worse well, in real life? That's what we've... Heard. It's also ambiguous in real life. Oh, it's ambiguous. You know, part of the problem is, you know, because there's it's pretty strongly implied there's some sort of sexual element to what's going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be that they just, you know, they just beat him and tortured him and were getting their jollies off of it. Could be that something else happened. That actually is like, you know, it's as in, not quite as ambiguous, but highly ambiguous in his memoir mm. and is debated still today by people who study this stuff. Um, so, you know, they I actually think the movie does a very good job of depicting that of like, we don't know. they don't tell you what happened, but they <laughs> kind of suggest kind of what realm we're in uh, pretty explicitly without going out and, and saying it. Right. Yeah. So that that now the, the one the one big history f- uh, uh, sort of exaggeration I've heard anyway, just by reading was the the Akaba sequence which was them literally, I mean, it's, it's a very amazingly filmic sequence, the sequence of them sort of uh, conquering the the city with Lawrence on like the front lines. And like, uh, there's this amazing giant sweeping pan uh, of them taking it where you see this giant wide shot of all of the camels and the horses kind of going into the town. And then it pans over the city while they infiltrate sort of every part of the city. And then we wind up with this big foregrounded shot of the cannon facing the water right uh which is yeah, that's like, actually um i think that that sequence is based on a different battle uh the battle of beersheba uh, where yeah. uh the australian light horse did that basically just you know hey they can you know we think we can we're close enough that we can do a cavalry charge without us all dying and they, they pulled it off there's actually a movie about that called the light horseman um oh, but 
not as not as well shot because they didn't have as many extras. <laughs> yeah, there's an amazing amount of extras here. And again, it's like a it's just a couple minute long sweep where you just watch all of these people literally conquer uh, Akaba, which is just wild. And then again, it's so cool, though. I mean, uh, that's this is what I love about like these big historical epic films. I mean, that that, that is a division of the Jordanian army. Because where else do you get ten thousand men who can, <laughs> you know, have logistics out in the desert? So the king of Jordan just just lent them a division of his army to film some of these big, those really big sequences. Yeah, and it really is stunning shot. to watch. <laughs> it's just for one shot. Uh, that's immediately <laughs> no followed. CGI, no tricks. Oh, yeah. It's just that's, that's what it looks like when there's ten thousand guys on horseback. You know, like you know, just pedal to the metal. It's and it's it, it is even I think you know even today pretty breathtaking to watch. Oh, it oh, is. Yeah. And it's like, immediately there's so followed. much weight when they actually use real extras. You just oh, yeah. you feel it. Like it, it, that's the, that was probably my favorite part of watching these two films was just seeing all these real people yeah. <laughs> on screen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it, it's awesome because he finishes that shot of the gun where the pan ends up going to the giant cannon, and then he immediately does one of his textbook transitions that he does with a hard cut to like a sunset, which again these gorgeous shots of the sun and the sky and the water, uh, very, uh, elemental, uh, and would go on to inspire mm. all kinds of spectacle films. That we, mm. I, it's hard to watch this. Uh, cause again, Jamie and I would have both been watching this for the first time, which is a travesty, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but it's it, done now. We it's amazing it. to watch it now and see just how many movies, uh, <laughs> stole from this. Yeah. Uh, and how powerful it still is to watch it. Uh, even though you've, you've seen a lot of the images before, one of my uh, favorite things, uh, briefly touching on how kind of the British were acting at the end of the film, kind of when it sounds like you know they're wrapping things up or what they're oh, talking right, right, about right. when the uh, the takeover is going to be over, and like he, he comes back and they're like, "We built a squash court." <laughs> and like, you know, and uh, I think I'm going to take up fishing after this and things like that. Like these he, people are are fighting for their freedom and their their, their homeland. And this and guy is yeah. just looking over the balcony with a sunset, just like maybe I'll get a fishing lure next week. Like yeah. it's just, oh, man, it's craziness. Yeah. Well, it's well, part of the, you know, the, the, I think that it's really good just position of, um, you know, Lawrence is in the real war. You know, he's fighting war the way like you know, the Romans did and like the Huns did where it's up close and personal and brutal and his colleagues, you know, they're obviously also in the war, but they're fighting an industrial war. And so they kind of still have one foot in, you know, back in the fat country, back in England. Mm -hmm. And Lawrence does not. Lawrence is fully committed. He's a desert guy now. Um, (laughs) And I think that's, uh, that's one of my favorite elements of the film is that interplay between those British where they're, because um, at that point they're they're in awe of him, but they also still are, you know, the, in that squash court conversation. He walks away, and then he overhears the guy saying, "Oh, he lays it on a bit thick, doesn't he?" Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's, he's still strange to them, and they still there's something that makes him makes them uncomfortable about him, um, because he's kind of adopted these sort of uh, really primal, barbaric ways of of life. Right, and he's just a, say and warrior he, ones, not Arab ones. Yeah. Right? Sorry, to, to clarify. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 definitely in the old school kind of military that he finds himself successful at. Right, um, which is uh, it, it. It's helpful. It's strategically helpful to the British Empire, but it's not their goal. Is their goal is not to win that way. Yeah. Their goal is to win the battle of uh, resources and sort of like uh, border lines. Yeah. <laughs> is right, kind right. of the the end goal of everything, and it's very uh, devastating to watch as Lawrence's manipulated and all of his accomplishments are sort of devalued by that. Um, yeah. And, and, and he, as he's, I mean, as he's leaving 
in and the he country. Bre- he literally watches more breaks. army people come in, and he's just like, "This isn't over. Nothing yeah. about this has changed, really." Yeah, so. and he he breaks himself. He becomes a murderer at one point. There's yeah. there's when when he goes back. There's this amazing shot of of where he he orders kind of the brutal execution of just uh, an entire sect of the Turkish military. And uh, the sequence is is brutal, and Lawrence is just finally unleashing like his most primal self and literally just using the knife to stab people and kill people. And there's there's a a mirroring shot of him holding the knife upside down, looking at the knife covered in blood at night, and he's horrified. And it it, it obviously echoes the image we saw before of him as the giggling child holding the knife. Right, just (laughs) Just swiping it around, laughing and you know yeah right uh and it it is really horrifying to watch this man break his own body and sacrifice the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people probably thousands of people yeah uh for seemingly not a lot uh uh, especially because we learn uh, by the end of the film that all of this was just meant as bartering between the the two different tribes between the British Empire and a sort of collective uh, 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 united Arab tribes yeah. that all of it boiled down to a collection of resources that they could barter with each other yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, in in a room and that's what he finds out everything was for uh, including the fact that he basically betrayed uh, uh, Sheriff Ali who was sort of the only actual moral conscience uh, in the film, which is amazing considering that we, we meet him literally seeing him murder, murder someone, someone who he thinks is garbage. Yeah, and by the end of the film, he's the most morally yeah, he's outstanding the one you person have a beer in with. the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he's the one who's like, oh God, like God, God help all those Turks. Like that's the point. That's where he's been brought by watching all of these sort of uh, military endeavors that Lawrence uh, partakes in. Yeah. And again, the, the sort of very intimate psychology that David Lean gets into of how all of this sort of makes Lawrence feel and how it feels like a betrayal of all of the sort of potential and love that he felt for the desert to have it all, uh, result in blood on the sand basically, which is not what he wanted. Um, and to have his body literally be broken, his psyche be broken, uh, and to see that it was for a bunch of sort of British bureaucrats. Yeah, uh, I love are, at the uh, at the end. There's a you know they're, they're debating over who gets to control the the water pumping plant in Damascus. Yeah, and uh, Faisal and, and Allenby, the British general, are, are debating, and they get interrupted, and then they go back to their their debate. And uh, he says, where were we? And uh, a British bureaucrat jumps in to say, I think we had decided on a, water, a British water pumping plant with an Arab flag flying over it. Mm. And it really it is, it is depressing to think that that is essentially what they were fighting for is um, <laughs> to have a, a, this kind of an Arab puppet state controlled by the British um, was the ultimate outcome of all of that blood and all those people ruining their lives. Yeah, and all this sort of sort of like self mythologizing that goes along with it, and that you know he's 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 really thought that he was leading a, a revolution to change things, yeah, uh, and that uh, is unfortunately uh, very sidelined by the end of the film, and it's very tragic. Uh, and again, you it, it's very it's it's a really felt film, despite the fact that most people seem to remember this film as like a big spectacle, like an, an, an conquering adventure 
in the desert kind of film. <laughs> and when you really get down to it, the second half of the film post intermission, the first half of the film, I would say is kind of that with hints of something deeper. The second half of the film is like a gradual deflation of that same mythology <laughs> yeah. where they, they build it up. They build it up to the point where Lawrence is this big hero. And then you watch an hour and a half of just like pure masochistic suffering. Yeah. Uh, and it actually, um, and how the film itself it gets was. darker. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it gets because it, the seasons are changing and it gets darker and colder as kind of they get further from that peak of Lawrence's, you know, heroism, you know, when he's strutting around on that train uh, from then on out. It's just, you know, every every scene's a little darker and a little colder. And then by the time they're in like Syria, when he's about to get captured by the Turks, it's like raining and dark. And then when he leaves Dara and he's finally broken, um, it's snowing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we're going to enter the reductive rating round on this one, which for Sounds you, good. Everett, uh, is the part of the show where we remove all the nuance and all the words, and we give the movie a kind of rating between one and five. Uh, half stars are allowed, uh, just for our bookkeeping purposes and our ongoing list of, of, of all of the movies that we talked about, uh, roughly sort of like ranked. Uh, we also allow sort of like a brief reason why, if you have any more points you want to get in. So mm-hmm. I'll go first. Uh, for me, Lawrence Arabia is a uh, super easy five. Uh, nice. Didn't even consider it really for like a second. Um, I think that uh, David Leeds filmmaking uh, is amazing. Um, again, the, the way that this is somehow manages to be uh, psychologically intimate to Lawrence while not even completely adopting his point of view for allowing differing points points of view to get in like both the British military uh, but uh, his his Arab superiors and Prince Faisal um, uh, his compatriots in uh, Sheriff Ali who who all kind of get moments of, of contextualization within the film but mm. at the same time this is a very distant uh, epic and a giant spectacle that is very thrilling and you'll yeah. get amazing action scenes um, of scenes like where they take Aqaba and the scene at night where they they raid the Turks and it's incredibly violent. Um, the train takeover is and the great. train takeover yeah. with him running along the tops of the train and stuff. It's yeah. it's a completely gorgeously uh, made film, both on an, uh, an adventure and action level and also on a character level as it kind of breaks down the narcissistic sort of mythologizing element of British exceptionalism and British Empire and kind of watches. Uh, completely deflates and forces it to suffer right before your eyes yeah. as you see sort of the the more real world uh, aspects of of that infiltrate a a cleaner simplistic dream that we have of of heroes and conquering and of of uh, you know history. Mm-hmm. So yeah, five. Sweet. Uh, I'm also gonna give it a five. Uh, this, I mean, this blew me away. Uh, I can't believe, once again, they made a, a desert look so interesting for three and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, some of the most gorgeous cinematography I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the score is gorgeous and mm-hmm. has been, uh, you know, taken from so many different yeah. people now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, when it comes to any desert score, it seems like they go with kind of these sweeping violins and things like that. And I think that's directly related to this movie. The most fascinating part of this movie was watching Lawrence's character. I just I didn't know what to expect. I, I just knew that this was a historical epic. I, I and I knew that, you know, it was kind of about an uprising, but I didn't know about his god complex. <laughs> I didn't know about how eccentric of a character he was. 
Um, and, and, uh, and, and how critical it is of him and his God complex, yeah, exactly. which is something that I think a lot of people might not remember about this film if they've seen it a long exactly. time ago. I feel yes. like it just, as someone who hadn't seen the film and who had heard a lot about the film, that was the least talked about yeah, part of the film. And here I am I watching it about. being like, this is the most interesting part I think that, that's film. exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to get at is that I feel like that's what I would be talking about when I, when I talk to people about it, but I never hear that. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that was really fascinating, and I'm going to give it the five. Now, just before, uh, just because I'm really, I love to know any inaccuracies or anything like that. <laughs> you're going to ask that. Everett, Everett. Uh, was there anything there, that bothered you? Is there anything you? that's really inaccurate to the point where you're like, that's bullshit? <laughs> um, honestly, no. I mean, oh, awesome. the only thing that really nags about me in this movie is, granted, for a 1962 movie, the portrayal of Arabs is very sensitive and generally pretty good. Yeah. But there are a couple false notes in there. Anthony Quinn's big ass fake nose is real weird um, <laughs> okay, and makes yeah. me uncomfortable every time I see it. Um, the, uh, the brown face is a little weird. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that over the top on Guinness. But again, if it was today, it's hard to imagine people wouldn't rightfully be wondering why they didn't cast an Arab actor. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, just generally, the, you know, the, the politics of it. Politically speaking, personally, I'm more of a Gilo Pontecorvo than I am a David Lean. Um, but, uh, you know, the history, I mean, it's fiction, obviously, and you shouldn't take it as gospel. But I actually think it does give people a very good idea of what was going on in a, you know, what is in the West, a pretty forgotten part of history. That that World War One Middle Eastern theater, you know, totally overshadowed by the trenches and the Bolshevik Revolution and all the drama that happened in Europe during that time. Um, and so I think it's, you know, for, for, for something that this is, this is the most, most people, this is the only thing they know about that period. And I could see a lot worse <laughs> that could go. Uh, uh, so I, I give it a thumbs up on, on the history. Nice. Sweet. Nice. And your rating. Yeah. Uh, my rating would definitely be a five as well. Um, you know, like I said, th- th- there are little false notes, like, Again, if anything, probably more just because I'm a lefty and, uh, you know, this is kind of a conservative movie in a lot of ways. Um, but as a as a piece of art, it's, I think, one of the best pieces of filmmaking out there. Uh, seeing this is what got me interested in film. Um, my parents took me when I was about nine to oh, go wow. see it on a big screen. And it literally just they took me because they, they couldn't find a babysitter. They were like, whatever, <laughs> he'll just sleep. Who cares? Um, but I was just riveted the whole time. And this this that experience of seeing this on the big screen in a theater was uh, what got me into film. So I, I love it, and I, I encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to go go check it out. There's a lot more going on. As, as you guys both have, have said, there's a lot more going on than some you know hero worship or you know just kind of a blank adventure film. You know, this is a, a complex story with great characters, great writing. Um, the score, which we barely talked about, um, I mean, it's like one of the best film scores of all time. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just everything about it's top-notch. Uh, yeah. I, I really love this film. Yeah, and the way that they like crescendo things with certain scenes that are happening, like, oh, those violins are just too damn good. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, if I, I need, we, if we get the chance to see it here in Toronto at seventy millimeter, oh my god, I'm gonna do it just to see how cool sound. Magi- like majestical and like bombastic it would be on like, the big screen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would lose it. I would lose it. Yeah. Um, the bigger screen, the better, because those desert shots, just like you know, seeing it on like, on like the, the, you know, the 70 millimeter projection on a real big ass theater screen, that desert just eats up your whole line of sight. And it's really <laughs> yeah. something. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for Lawrence of Arabia. And we're going to be right back and we're going to be talking the battle of Algiers. Mm-hmm. 
vous devez en accepter toutes les conséquences nécessaires. Right, we are talking the Battle of Algiers, the 1966 film uh, directed by uh, ooh, uh, Gilo Pontecorvo. Is that right? See, si. ah, uh, there we go, <laughs> there we go. Now, this is a film uh, about uh, the sort of uh, the Algerian struggle under uh, French colonial rule and the uh, the. National Liberation Front is what it's called, I believe. Yes. A group who is fighting to gain the freedom uh, and independence of the Algerian people, uh, as as seen from the point of view of a, a young revolutionary named Ali Lapointe, uh, from uh, sort of his humble beginnings as a as a, a, a lowly petty thief to his his rise to prominence uh, in the organization uh, and capture uh, by the French eventually in 1957. Uh, the film traces the rebels' struggle and the increasingly extreme measures taken by the French government to quell that revolt. There's your frickin' summary. <laughs> uh, but largely the film, what's special about this film to me anyway, I watched this for the first time about a year or two ago, and what really kind of blew me away about it was uh, the style. The style is oh, kind God. of what what this film has going for it, filmed entirely, almost entirely with the exception of one actor with non-professional actors um this film documents the uh you know a a kind of an oft sort of misrepresented struggle with Mm. a kind of on the ground docudrama point of view that really gets you into both the 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 horrifying actions taking place and also the sort of claustrophobic feeling um, and makes it feel as realistic as possible by mirroring kind of uh, real-life historical footage that you would have maybe seen in the 60s and maybe yeah. are familiar uh, with that time period. Yeah, and by, was... by, by crafting an entirely fictional film about a real struggle, he has perhaps created uh, the most honest document of that kind of struggle, uh, so mm-hmm. much so to the point that both groups on the sort of revolutionary side and on the oppressive side have both shown to their respective groups as lessons. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's both, masterful. Both, both, uh, That's amazing. So both leftist coalitions and Black Panthers and everything who have been fighting for, uh, against oppressive states have shown it as, uh, how to, uh, strategically use terrorism and other <laughs> aspects to achieve political victory. And at the same time, Jesus Christ. the U.S. State Department itself has played this film to show the dangers of losing that battle and what the French did wrong and what they can do to hopefully not do that wrong in the future. Well, I think both sides <laughs> <laughs> need to, uh, holy shit, that's fucking crazy. So, so th- that's just it, is that that's, that's just how, what feels like truthful and honest and historical about this film is that you can have two groups of people looking at the film and being and and looking at the strategies of it and being like, we can apply this or learn from this. <laughs> yeah, which, <laughs> which is which, living hell which is which is not something that you would expect, uh, especially just coming off a film that is also about a political uprising in a revolution in Lawrence of Arabia, right. which is obviously very more character centric and not as interested uh you know, it's it's interesting in a, in a more uh, filmic entertainment that also feels much more thr- of an adventure than thrills yeah. thrills on like a on, a on a human level, but not necessarily trying to do something that feels as sort of starkly. I don't want to say gross; that doesn't feel like the wrong word, but something just so on a on a grit level with people who are suffering and yeah. people who are a lot of the time perpetrating that suffering. Uh, well, this, um, this actually gets to what I think is probably the most interesting uh, contrast between these two movies, which is, um, you know, I think the, the, the difference in approach that you just laid out uh, tells you a lot about the politics of the people who made these films. So um, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, the center of the action is the character, the individual, you know, what's going on with these people's psychologies, what actions do they take? That's what drives the action of the it, film. It, it's like a, and hum, it's, a humanist story inside yes, of a political backdrop. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and so that's, to me, that's kind of, you know, in the broadest possible sense of the word, that's a very liberal viewpoint. And uh, Gilo Pontecorvo was not a liberal. He was a communist. Um, don't quote me on that. He might be a socialist rather than a communist. But I think, I, I, a, th- I think he's since been like, call me whatever uh, is – a dude who has left beliefs and <laughs> wants people to live well. <laughs> a Marx-influenced wing person. <laughs> um, but you know, to him, you know that that that's not that's not what Marxism is about. Uh, that's about that's about the collective and the people. And uh, I think a lot of the difference in approach is explained by the fact that Pontecorvo is trying to kind of turn the people and the system and kind of the broader geopolitical ferment into part of the movie. That's yeah. what drives, drives the, the action. Even, even the, you know, the, when we're following the stuff Ali Lapointe does, which is a very kind of traditional like thriller stuff. That's, you know, that, they explicitly say that they're doing this to inspire the people. And it's all about people watching. And they, they there's a lot of shots of people's eyes as they watch things mm-hmm, happen. Mm-hmm. Lots and, of close-ups uh, of faces um, that like it's just and they're they're so stark because the rest of the film is not like that. Those are probably the yeah. most sort of like 
old school filmmaking stuff that he he sort of implements because you're otherwise you're watching what feels like historical footage a lot yeah, of the time a lot of it and is then you'll have big, a sudden close-up of someone's very right. human face yeah a lot because a lot of it's just big wide shots that yeah. feel like he's just documenting just it, there's no real narrative to what he's showing it just feels like it's happening it's like it's just life right exactly mm-hmm. um i love that, that really this movie the kind of documentary style like yeah it, it just it feels it makes i mean it's a cliche but it, it does make the history come alive like yeah. you can really you can feel like you're watching a true documentary when you're watching a film it's it's pretty incredible i think that 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 gets to the heart of a lot of that you know that 60s uh sort of leftist nationalist uh anti-colonial wave of rebellions um you know there's uh, that whole ideology is steeped in that idea of um you know, you act, you know, the, the, the revolutionaries act and then their, their actions inspire the people to right, action because, because and even, create solidarity and create unity. And, and those eye shots and those reaction shots are what's, you know, drawing that connection in the film that exists in the ideology. Right. Because because we have to point out that the a big thing that that he does here is uh, he doesn't shy away from the b- brutality being sort of perpetrated both uh, by the French and the ones that the, uh, the the Algerians have kind of accepted as a machination, that they have been mm-hmm. like, look, we a, a violent revolution is the only thing that is going to actually fix our political problems, and he traces that from, as you've said, as as a, a a sort of tool that it's it's used as a broader machination to inspire a larger group of people, and at the same time, the characters are wrestling with that, as in well, there's an incredible sequence in this film where three ladies have to go out and they are instructed to go and bomb I was actually a, just gonna a, mention a French this. <laughs> civilian <laughs> centers. Um, and up until this point in the film, this is about 40 minutes into the film, I think. Yeah, yeah. Up until this point in the film, the French are very, very specifically by Pontecorvo not humanized. He is no, very yeah. clearly They're showing... They're painted as the army and, and just militants it, and... Yeah. Exactly. He, he is specifically showing you the very human reality and faces of the Algerian people in suffering. Um, there's an amazing close-up of Ali that it freeze frames out of that kind of gets us into the main crux of the film. Yeah. Um, and it, it's phenomenally made to watch this. And then this is the first time in the film while these ladies are uh, carrying bombs in their bags to go take over to the French side where we see the first glimpse of those same shots being used on French civilians and French citizens where yeah. they the, the, and again what's so fascinating about this is that normally a worse filmmaker anyway would frame this just for simple hypocrisy he would say oh well both sides mm-hmm. are equally violent so therefore this is all bad but more what he actually is doing is he's showing he's showing you that this is a a much thornier acceptance that they are about to commit some fucking horrifying acts and to kill children as a political yep. act and that they are accepting the consequences of that which is horrifying to think about and then at the same time you're watching it and you're being like this is this is kind of like what actually happens in the world. He may, yeah, he he kind of makes you feel just 
like they would have to feel it's, in a it, way. It's completely, They're making it's, a decision. it's like ripping your heart apart to watch it because yeah. you're like, obviously. I, like that five-year-old at the restaurant does not deserve what he's about to go through. Exactly. And, and, you, and you, see that you see close-ups of them like dancing and eating ice cream and all of this. They're just being people. Exactly. They're, they have no, like, the, yeah. And the, this is, this but is I the, would say, actually, that's an important distinction because there are a lot of similarities to the way he films because right before that, there's the sequence where the French civilians bomb an Algerian uh, apartment building. Yes. And there's differences in the way he f- frames that that are very significant, which, first of all, the Algerians, as you guys have talked about, they're, they're, they're depicted as, you know, suffering and sad. Uh, the French, as we see them when they're about to get blown up, they are uh, they're complacent. They're happy. They're having a good time. They seem to have no – you would get no sense that there's a war going on on their doorstep. Right. And, and, uh, and, and, and then and it's the, the aftermath thing that the Algerians want. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the aftermath is depicted the same. They even use the same music, which I think is a great touch um, for the aftermath of both bombings. But then the next shot after you see that the horrible carnage of the bombing is another cheering crowd of, of French colonists. And they're cheering because the paratroopers have come. And it's right. the beginning of the crackdown. And so it, it does give you, you know, while they are showing you some of the equivalence between these two scenes, they're not the same. Yeah, and I think you're right that he's he's very good about not just making this kind of trite point about oh in war everyone suffers, right? Because because he he is documenting in the way that he is documenting as this as a situation. He's showing you that there is a difference in power that is forcing one group to suffer a lot more than the other. But he's also not ignoring the fact that there is a whole lot of carnage happening here, yeah. and yeah. it fucking sucks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's it's really fascinating to see that struggle documented on film and to make you feel that way because a lot of films about these subjects are not as complicated and thorny as that in their depiction no. of these things. Most people want a they more simplistic... They just have the protagonist and the antagonist exactly. and yeah, yeah, they want a more simplistic reading of, of history and unfortunately that's not a lot of the way that it plays out. Yeah, almost um, ever. This <laughs> film actually originally was that. Um, this, oh was, this was developed by the Algerian government uh, in its early stages to be basically like you know, we're a new country. We want a founding epic about our glorious struggle for independence. And they approached Pontecorvo because he was a lefty. He'd been supportive of the cause. He was a great director. He made political films, and they figured, hey, he'll he'll shoot this propaganda movie we, we wrote. And basically, he was like, I'll do this, but I want to do it my way. And he managed to convince them, which is frankly pretty amazing, yeah. that basically – you want to do really effective propaganda. You can't just do some ham-handed good guy, bad guy thing. You want to actually show because you guys are in the right. Ponte Corvo would have said, um, and I, I frankly agree. Um, you know, show just show what really happened, how it happened, and uh, they somehow managed to convince a government to adopt that, which is. Governments generally don't like depicting things as they were. There's not a lot of spin in this movie, which is really remarkable given that the guy, the, the, the co-writer of this is an actual ex-FLN militant wow. who was part of all these events. Wow. That's insane. So you can you can expect that a lot of this on the ground stuff, uh, especially the machinations of how that group worked, and especially the bit they they kind of really thrillingly lay out how that organization works, where each member only knows two other people in the group: the person that set him up, the person who got him, and then the person who he recruited is right. kind of how it works, or whatever. Or they know three, maybe the two that he recruited, and everybody just kind of goes. An easier from there. way to keep track, I think. Like yeah, what I love about that scene, uh, you know, the French colonel is laying that out, and he's the only How actor does he know in the that? film. The French colonel, right? Yeah, Jean Martin. Yeah, um, he, he's laying that all out. How does he know that? It's not from intelligence. It's because 
he was in the resistance. He's done what they did. Mm-hmm. So he knows the game. <laughs> And that's right. a very weird, uh, you know, backdrop to this whole story is this is the this is, you know, Algeria was legally part of France. And so this is France in 1954, nine years after the Germans left. So all of these people in this movie, the French uh, soldiers, well, officers anyway, um, are veterans of people who've been you know, fighting fascism before this. And it's a very odd wrinkle to all those French colonial wars that these guys had had been on the uh, you know in the other position not so long ago. Yeah, so they they know they know the strategies and they know how to quash them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, the you know there's there's a lot of interesting stuff happening uh, in here, and I think Pontecorvo uh, also manages to make this like just really thrilling to watch in general. Uh, the Morricone score helps a lot. Yeah, which yes. is phenomenal, and the, the the sound design of the the drumming and the the sort of like uh, uh, the, the the machinery that's involved in this. There's a lot of like engine noises and gunfire and loudspeakers like and helicopters and yeah. I actually oh, yeah. I, I made note of that. You know, the, the, but as the movie goes on and the French kind of gain the upper hand, those machine noises are more and more prevalent to oh, the point yeah. where. When they're right at the end and the last of them are getting run down, there's always a helicopter overhead. There's always a loudspeaker in the background because it's just that that omnipotent kind of power building in the background. And I, I really like how they do that. Were there any uh, scenes in this movie or just shots in general that were uh, like actual documentation of any event? I don't or? think so. Okay, no. There and they actually had to, by uh, the end that I was like, holy hell, this looks legitimately real like, yeah. I, 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 it was it was crazy well yeah that's what's wild it's the theatrical cut of this actually has a disclaimer saying none of this is, is newsreel footage because oh wow people would watch it and just assume it was documentary largely <laughs> wow that's so amazing wow yeah it would be the best documentary i've ever seen yeah where you get, like, <laughs> yeah they you, got you, in gritty there you, you get like these amazingly well organized uh filmic representation of like targeted assassinations <laughs> you're just <laughs> like, like well how did they get the camera where the rest <laughs> Restaurant blew up. <laughs> some of those, some of the stuff, especially some of the bit players, you know, like when they just show a montage of assassinations. Some of those, like the actors, were guys who had assassinated French police officers. The guy at the oh beginning in the prison who gets executed, that guy had been sentenced to death for FLN activities, and wow. he got he got clemency, obviously, because he was in the movie. But um, so he literally had been in that exact position where he's shouting "Long live Algeria" as they're leading him to the guillotine. Um, that guy, you know, that that's an actual, you know, convicted terrorist death row prisoner who they did that with. Wow, that's in the insane. prison where it happened. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. The the, the film kind of just largely gets that sort of this the, this, this escalating violence and the the increasingly um, uh, the, the French occupation uh, uh, escalates obviously as that's going on and we talked about how the sound design gets into that and uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's all kinds of hilarious things that they start because uh, it becomes, turns into a bit of a propaganda war at that point mm-hmm. where the uh, they're like the FLN wants to stop you from working. Uh, and, and starve you and condemn you to poverty uh, and and all of this. They're like, the army is protecting you. Trust in it and all of this. And meanwhile, like a little kid somehow gets – like the, the army is portrayed a little bit inept in this too where the little yeah. kid gets control of the, the, the monitor and he's just like, keep going, guys. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and real. all the all the army dudes are running around being like, "How the hell is yeah. this happening?" <laughs> um, that actually is one of the only like real political criticisms I have of this movie. Um, oh yeah, is um, 
there actually were a lot of Arabs who supported the French. Um, mm. There are the kind of the, you know, it's, uh, French people don't talk about it today, but what started the whole immigration, Arab immigration wave to France was people who had fought for the French in this war who, when they got independence, were like, we're not going to stick around and get, you know, revenge killed by the people we were brutalizing. you got to bring us to France. And so they brought like almost a million, I believe, Algerians who had fought in the French army in this conflict over. But that was a line that the Algerian government, when they made this film, was not going to cross. We're not going to uh, let you show collaborators because as you, I'm sure, picked up on, the national unity of the Algerian people is a major theme here. And saying, oh, by the way, there were also a million who fought for the French is not that part of really that. would have been really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, Ponte Corvo, man. That would have like, done it. Like, uh, this it's great amazing, regardless. But that really would have made it even added. thornier. Yeah, I would have loved that. But then the film that. probably would have needed to be a little bit longer and would have needed yeah. to address the fact that... <laughs> Another half hour. The, yeah. Well, yeah, just because this, this specifically addresses like a three or four year period, right? Yeah. And then you would have had to talk about, you know, contextualize the Algerian, how the French colonization of Algeria in the first place yeah, and all right. of this. And it, it would have been a lot much, it would have been a much bigger of a film. We would have needed a Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, it would have been another Lawrence. Epic. Yeah. Uh, that is really, whole, you know, cause this, um, this is what's going on in Algiers and there's a whole oh, other right. war out in the mountains, which they mention a couple times, which yeah, like looks more like, like America in Vietnam with, you know, kind of gorillas and then the little mobile bands trying to chase them down. Yeah, that would have been there's a, there's a very good yeah. French movie from, I think, four years ago about that that does get into the, you know, quote unquote, Algerian loyalists. And then, you know, which one of them are, are not so loyal. Um, but that's just, you know, that's a different story and beyond what they were going to tell with that, you know, actually bringing all those cameras out into the mountains and trying to depict that would have been a very different undertaking to try to maintain that, that realist style out in the, out in the wilderness. I, I don't that's think they probably point. could have. Well, yeah, yeah well, that's they, a good point. they even have a, a, a line kind of the closing closer to the end of the film when they have, uh, the, the French have, uh, what they felt like anyway, they have, they have squashed the literal, FLN, where they have taken out the, the the heads of the group, they have taken out uh, uh, Ali and the his 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 two uh, higher ups. Is this when they do that that brilliant little sequence where they start? Like they begin the film within the wall, and then at the by the end, it, it comes full circle. And yeah, in the it, wall it all again. it all kind of comes full circle. Because I really like because that. they they killed one of his higher ups, then the second higher up uh, did end up bowing to. Uh, the French, or at least uh, him and his, I think his wife end up kind of get, getting a getting a ride. They don't. They they see it as a sort of a pointless gesture to just die uh, right. in, in a house like that. Right. Um, but uh, Ali, who was very committed to the cause, uh, and same with Ali's, I guess his his friends and family who are with him there, who are all committed to the cause, uh, do end up doing what is uh, dictated by Ali's higher up a pointless gesture. And it's very heavily hinted by Portokovo that 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 gesture is kind of like the final nail in the coffin for the the inspiration for the people because it's it's just such a raw expression of uh, uh, you know how necessary that uprising is for uh, the people and for uh, uh, getting out of their suffering conditions. Um, and it, it actually reminded me of a film that I watched uh, a couple weeks ago. It's it's an old Robert Redford movie that no one has seen called Tell Them Willie Boy is Here. Okay. But it, take, it takes on <laughs> a, a, a very similar ending in that uh, Redford, who is kind of a, a, a sheriff, an officer of the old cowboy law, is hunting down a young native boy who is uh, who did murder someone. He murdered someone in self-defense. But because he 
thinks he's not going to get a fair trial, he books it. And Robert Redford spends the whole film chasing after him. It's a back and forth. But okay. what, what kind of happens that's uh, amazingly dark for a 60s film even uh, is the sort of the, the, the native kid's ultimate decision is to point his gun at Robert Redford and get shot with it empty. Because he was like, I would rather fucking die than uh-huh. go in with you because that trial is going to be worse than you just fucking killing me right now. Oh, okay. Uh, because, yeah. because, and, and it was true because all the people following behind Redford just minutes behind him were ready to lynch the kid. Right. Uh, for what he did. And you know, uh, and, 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 I and, think and, you're... Was that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say that the, the big thing that happens for Redford's character in that moment is he is exposed to, holy shit, maybe people are treated differently in different power systems as he's the, it totally breaks his brain. This idea that that kid who has completely expressed with his entire body, that, that, that is a, it's, it's a political expression. He almost can't comprehend. And yeah. that is kind of the exact same thing that Ali does here that they're, everyone's kind of shocked by. Cause they're like, dude, this is pointless. Just come on in. You don't need to do this. He does it. And that is kind of what what kind of pushes the final nail in the coffin, even as the sort of uh, the, the French are walking away and going, you know what? We'll settle for Algiers. We don't need Algeria. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that scene, um, we're they good. do a really good um, visual callback to explain to you what's happening there, which is, um, you know, if you remember when Ali blows himself up, there's kind of he's kind of down at the base of a hill and there's people, Algerians up watching from their rooftops, looking down at the building he's in as the French are about to blow it up. And it calls back to, if you remember the very beginning of the movie, when, when Ali is convinced to join the FLN, he's in prison and he watches that FLN guy, you know, just totally defiant to the very end before he gets executed. And he's like, wow, that, that seems like something I could be into. And if you remember that scene, there's all these, you see the eyes of all the prisoners looking down, watching him being executed. Yeah. And it's the same phenomenon where it's this, it's the guy sacrificing himself and it's not, but it's not about the guy. It's all the eyes watching because all those people who see that sacrifice are convinced of his cause. And that kind of gets right to the heart of what I think Ponticorvo is trying to express here, which is that these sort of militant groups like the FLN that's their role, which is a big part of that, like lefty '60s liberation ideology, which you know it's the you know this kind of small group of righteous people, sort of with their bravery, standing up to the state, inspiring the people, and that right. shot and, and kind and of willing draws to literally sacrifice their bodies for it, which is yeah. kind of like the big thing. And Ali, um, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is that, um, that that transition he makes from you know being a small time you know at the beginning. There's all those. Um, they read out all those official documents rather than doing narration, which I love. And they read his rap sheet at the beginning when they introduce him. And just, you know, basically this guy's a loser. You know, he's a petty criminal and, you know, guy who can't hold a job. And then the by the end, he's one of the leaders of this group. And that's another big part of that ideology is this idea that sort of if you're a loser, if you are, you know, if there's something wrong with your life and you're a member of a colonialized nation – it's because of colonialism and that struggle against colonialism will kind of purify you and improve you as a human being. Um, like if people have read France Fanon, it's a lot of that. Um, I have not, and, <laughs> but it's, you know, again, this it's is what you're it's, here it's, for. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's another, you know, I, I think it's interesting to look at this and see, you know, that, you know, people say you can't make good art that's ideological. 
And this movie is highly ideological, but it's also a brilliant work of art. And I think it's interesting to look at it in that perspective and see Pontecorvo putting in this, you know, kind of doctrinaire, you know, 60s communist view um, and putting it on the screen in a way that's compelling. Well, and putting it in that specifically in that Italian neorealist style aesthetic, which is just completely gorgeous uh, to watch. And again, the way it replicates that like on the ground experience in that kind of conflict and in that kind of, uh, you know, uh, that psychological and bodily state, which is uh, honestly, it's it's it's, the first time I watched it. I was kind of it was kind of difficult to watch for me just because I was like, so like it's a very claustrophobic film and not in the way that you would Mm -hmm. normally expect expect yeah. because this isn't like an overcut film this isn't filled with tons of shots that are like trapping you this is kind of just like uh it's so real it's uncomfortable <laughs> yeah you feel you feel trapped in the boundaries of the city that they're in with yeah. these characters you yeah. really do yeah you feel like there's no escape you you feel these roadblocks are surrounding you at all times like yeah it's just it, you feel the uh the takeover of the french absolutely um, yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, the, they put up those roadblocks at the beginning and they really, that's kind of a, such a recurring thing in the movie, both right. just like literally as the plot, like how do we get around the French roadblocks? Um, but then they also do a very good job of giving you that, that, um, that kind of locked up feel. Uh, it's almost like a maze, a lot of those shots in the Cosba. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we might enter the reductive rating round on this one. But for me, Battle of Algiers was my second go at it. Uh Five, 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 five. Nice. Uh, it's phenomenal for basically all the reasons that we've said, man. Like I can't like again, that 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 neorealist docudrama style uh, can't be understated, I guess that that is I, I can't I almost can't imagine this film working without how much Ponte Corvo's filmmaking like really lends to it again. If they didn't get him this, uh, we wouldn't be talking about this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, especially the way that uh, clearly the Algerian government wanted to make it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely phenomenal and uh, an amazing uh, document of a particular struggle and a particular time funneled through uh, an amazingly thrilling and and uh, evocative uh, aesthetic. And again, Morricone's score uh, uh, during a lot of the sort of like a lot of the raid sequences and a lot mm. of the uh, uh, the more suspense based sequences uh, is is nail biting. I was going crazy. Uh, yeah. And again, the, the way that this manages to take a very sort of. Uh, complex history and both observe it in a way that gets at the the brutal elements of it but also keeps in mind the uh the the differing power levels that are happening on here and that there is something more brutal in in the sort of larger systemic clinical sense of the french colonists uh in in relation to you know the national liberation front and the the algerian people who are suffering uh literally they are suffering so that other people aren't um and i think that this film documents that and also gets at the fact that this was one fucking messy armed conflict and de corvo wants you to experience it uh, in an on-the-ground horrifying uh, experience. And yeah, I think he does all of that somehow. And probably one of the only films I've ever seen be able to do that well. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think it's, for me, it's also a five uh, for me. I think it's honestly the best portrayal of this kind of, you know, on-the-ground almost 
you called it neo-realism ne- neo-realism is yeah. what the italian movement was called of, of of a kind of like the start this more like stark black and white uh of films that are more made for low budget with non-professional actors with on location uh, on location yeah. that was very interested in the sort of the the experience of poverty and the experience of of suffering and oppression in a larger sense yeah. of people kind of forgotten by history right right yeah my my brother uh was actually talking to me about it because he did an essay on on this uh this particular film and he mentioned the neorealism and this kind of uh, do- this feeling that it gives you of a, a documentary in a way and I yeah. I just didn't know what to expect and I couldn't believe how realistic this felt. I just yeah. felt like I was watching a history book in a way but it was still fascinating. I mean the filmmaking still makes it very interesting. Uh, it's amazing yeah. to me that there's almost no actors or real actors in this movie. I mean, everyone pulls off a, a great performance. Yeah, and, and the one that there is is kind of a showman character anyway, right, so it exactly. actually does work yeah. for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it works. It, it works on all levels. Now, and, Jamie, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a movie that, based on this, maybe we'll recommend it to everyone. It's called sure. Army of Shadows. That sounds mm. very. It's familiar. a it's a French World War II film by uh, Jean Pierre Melville, who at the time I know in, that name, in, I think. in in France he was kind of like known as a, a crime slash gangster movie filmmaker. Okay, and he applies that kind of style to a World War II picture. Oof. And again, with that, so like imagine like a gangster tragedy, but about so he adds a bunch the of political to World War. To, uh, like what is it's a little less neorealist because it's more stylish okay. it's got like a gangster smooth criminal style to okay, it okay. but it but it does that sort of like gangster tragedy style thing about a bunch of political resistance fighters who are opposing nazi occupation in france oh uh, okay and that sounds it, awesome it, it it's the closest thing i can say to battle of algiers to something that wanted to apply a style you wouldn't associate with history or with war films sure. to that and finds kind of a a, a a, a very harrowing emotional experience out of that. Okay. But yeah, it's phenomenal. That's awesome. I'll have to <laughs> check it out. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to give Battle of Algiers a five. Uh, I was blown away by this movie. So yeah. Awesome. Everett, for you. Uh, I mean, probably obvious by now. I also <laughs> give it a five. Um, yeah, this is just, um, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, you know, it's it's so much going, it's a heady movie in a lot of ways. Like, it's almost like a Ken Loach movie in some scenes where there's just, it's this didactic dialogue, but it's it's exciting to watch and it's got action and it's um, it's got this broad scope. Um, there's really nothing else exactly like it that I can think of. Um, it's, it's just, you know, if you, if anything in, uh, kind of this historical political realm interests you, you will find this movie riveting. It's just, it's got so much going on. It's fun to watch. You know, we probably made it sound like it's some kind of intellectual treatise, but it's it's exciting. It's gritty. No, it, it's an it, action it, it, movie it, in parts. It, it does get on get under your skin in a yeah. way that's like kind of like like this isn't a like I honestly I can't really like look away from this film. Yeah, like yeah. you're it never has the bored Jaws watching music this film. It. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean it's just it, it's it's a really you know. You know, and obviously the, the very strange this is, circumstances. This is where we're getting the genre made. element from. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was just gonna say exactly. all the the, the the thrilling depiction of assassinations and uh, yeah, uh, that's where it gets sleazy. And the and the more <laughs> the, the more suspenseful sequences of of people hiding and of people uh, right <laughs> trying to get there through checkpoints. There are parts of this movie that feel real sleazy. I mean, there's there's some dirt in here. There's some oh, yeah. real. Um, and, and there's some stuff that, you know, is almost, you know, if you just saw one scene, you might think it was some exploitation movie because it gets, it gets kind of gory in parts. I mean, it's, 
I mean, some of those torture sequences, those actually were cut in some countries um, when it was first released because it was too much. Oh, wow. Also worth mentioning, this movie was not shown in France until yeah, 1971. In <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're not going to get that one. We're not yeah, going to buy that ba- one. It was banned for five years, even though it was playing film festivals and, and yeah, such. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people were talking about it. Was it a big film when it when it came out? At yeah, least it was, amongst it, it, the it, it film was, circles? It was pretty well respected, and it, it played the Venice Film Festival. It might have even won the Venice Film Festival. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. That's awesome. So, and that's, yeah. Believe so, it won the Fenders Film Festival, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just between Ponte Corvo and uh, uh, Morricone were enough to, I think, get people's respect on it. Yeah. Uh, and then the fact that it yeah. it blew, I imagine it blew minds because, again, imagine that you associated this kind of footage with what you watched on TV. Like, imagine you're, yeah. on, you're on the TV, you're at home, you're watching, like, civil rights footage. Right, right. <laughs> That's and what then, it and, looks and, and like. And then you're that. like, all right, yeah. I'm going to go escape from that. I'm going to take a night at the movies. <laughs> oh, Battle of Algiers. Let's check it out. <laughs> and you're yeah, like, for holy sure. crap, this is even worse. <laughs> is, is this happening? Yeah. All right. Well, well, number two is it, in France, you know, the Alger- Algeria kind of took over France. Like, the, that, that issue, that, that event kind of dominated France in the late fifties, the way Vietnam dominated America. Well, yeah, like, they even was, mentioned at the end it of the film, on the, right? on the government. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 uh, actually the, you know, the, the French commander who we unfortunately didn't talk enough about is a great character. Um, he's a composite of a couple different guys and those guys, uh, a- attempted a coup shortly after these events. And, uh, the, the French government went away. Like the, the current French government, it's the fifth Republic. And that's the, because it's number five, because they got rid of the old one and brought in the new one with the Gaul, because the country was so divided over what was going on in Algeria that they, I mean, the, the entire system collapsed and they had to bring in the one guy in the entire country who had the gravitas to unite the country. Um, so this was, um, I think that's one, one thing we miss not seeing it in its original context is just what a massive issue that was in you know, very recent memory when this came out. Well, yeah, because I was going to say that they kind of mention at the end of the film that the the sort of exposure that all this violence kind of brought on was enough that the the French people were like, what the fuck are we doing to the Algerians? Yeah, yeah. That all of those people who were kind of living blissfully are all of a sudden more aware of the actual issue that's taking place, mm-hmm. uh, which is briefly touched upon in the film, but it sounds like is very historically important to what actually happened post all of this. Yeah. Uh, especially because this came out so shortly after. Again, in we're four talking- years? Yeah. Well, they, yeah, because the events depicted in the film, I think, go to 58 or 59, and this came out in okay. 66. Right, yeah, okay. So, so a lot of people would have yeah. just watched this. This is like if we saw, like, a, I mean, I, t- to be fair, I mean, I guess we kind of do that all the time now. But shit, when did Michael May make his Benghazi movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Right>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up for Battle of Algiers. Uh, that would have been both Battle of Algiers and Lawrence of Arabia on this week's show. Uh, thanks so much, Everett, for coming on and bringing on these really meaty films to talk about. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, this is the part having, of- that was... <laughs> that was uh, that was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say this is the part of the show, Everett, where if you've got anything to plug, do it here, and I think you do. I do. Yes. Um, if any of this history stuff is interesting to you, I have a podcast about Napoleon Bonaparte, who, uh, you know, talk about Lawrence with a kind of monstrous slash amazing slash very noble, very interesting character. Another guy who was kind of like that is Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, that's called the Age of Napoleon. Uh, you can find uh, you can find that if you, well if you're listening to this you probably know how to find podcasts uh, again that's the age of Napoleon um, and I'm on Twitter as Trillburn uh, that's not as much fun though and um, yeah that's about it 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, everyone check out Age of Napoleon, where yeah. we get into just literal, just literal history. No, <laughs> no, no fictionalized take by filmmakers. Yeah. Uh, None of that bull. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but for uh, patrons, you guys are going to hear from us in one week time. And what are we talking? We are talking George A. Romero. Yeah. Entirely. We are talking Night of the Living Dead, his original, uh, I believe that's 1968 yes. feature, the film that basically uh, invented what we now know as the zombie feature. Right. And then we're going to be pairing it with his 1973 uh, vague follow-up, uh, the, the crazies. Yeah, it's a very similar Ooh, nice. themes, but well, just dives what's a little more and We'll into get into it when we actually get into that episode, I think, yeah. is uh, the crazies kind of picks up where the end of Night of the Living Dead kind of left off. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Which is more, whereas Night of the Living Dead is kind of in, invested in the a more individual experience, uh, the crazies is more uh, invested in the general ineptitude of the systemic reaction to emergency situations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but either way, those films uh, are going to be a lot of fun to talk about, and they are welcoming us into spooktober yes which is going to be an entire horror filled october not that we don't talk about horror anyway no. so it's fine but uh, the month but of october on the show is going to be entirely dedicated to horror films so we're going to kick it off with george a romero and then uh so again that's going to be on patreon.com slash podcast in one week's time uh and in two weeks time we're going to be back with a guest for everyone for free listeners for everyone and we're going to be talking uh another filmmaker uh juan picur simone or, or uh, holy crap, I, that's probably wrong. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm guessing he's French, but either way, he is an exploitation filmmaker. We're getting deep into the exploitation on that one. We're going to be talking Pieces, 1982, which, from what I understand, is kind of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre ripoff. Cool, but maybe even gets a little more absurd and gritty. All right. Which, I mean, really? I don't know how, but that's what, that's what I've heard. And then we'll we're going to be pairing it with uh, the same filmmaker, Juan. Uh, 1988, he did a movie called Slugs, which I also haven't seen. But from Is what it I more like a body horror kind of thing? From what I understand, it sounds like street trash, but instead of okay. turning into slime, they turn into slugs. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> so that's what we're going to be talking about for everyone uh, in two weeks' time. But that'll just about Sweet. wrap it up for us. Thanks so much, uh, everyone, for joining us. Uh, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>